Well, good morning. Welcome to Community Church. I know that this is Thanksgiving weekend, but there are things happening that are more important than a ritual, than liturgy, than seasonal celebrations. Every time we gather, there's a fight between the manifestation of life and death. Every time the church comes together, there is a war. I'm going to talk about it later, but there is a gauntlet between you, where you are during the week, and where you need to be as a part of the universal church across the nations, releasing light and spirit. When we worship, we release a commodity into the earth. When we worship, we are displacing darkness in a very real, real and tangible fashion. We're not just here to enjoy a, a song, to enjoy a message, to be intellectually stimulated, emotionally motivated. We are here to manifest light in a world that is darkness. And I'm telling you, every force... Every force in, of darkness in this region is arrayed against you to keep you in your bed. And if it, they can't keep you in your bed, they're going to cause you to be late. They're going to cause you to be distracted. They're going to cause you to be thinking about anything other than worshiping in spirit and in truth. We have a job this morning because there are people who are who are right now captured by un, unimaginable levels of darkness. They are ensnared, powerless to even move. Powerless. They are in chains of darkness. And their hope, their only hope of seeing a light is when the church shines. Is when you worship in spirit and truth. God is looking. Who's right now? Who is going to worship? Who is going to be a light? Father, we say... God, we love the seasons. We love everything we get to enjoy in this time of year. But we say, God, we don't want to miss our purpose in manifesting your name. Let's be intentional right now. If you're at home and you're watching, I don't want you to disengage as though your, your, your connection is, is inconsequential. We're pressing through here. We're breaking through here. We're breaking through here. We're breaking through here. Your sound is not inconsequential. We are not anonymous viewers. We are not participants that are just attending church. We are the church. We are the only vehicles that God has chosen to release light and life into this world of darkness. Father, we say in Jesus' name, we will not be passive this morning. We will not sit back in our armchairs and just enjoy the show. Let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. In heaven right now, the four beasts before the throne of God, it says they do not cease singing this same thing. I understand that sometimes in your mind, in your emotions, you can get bored. You're thinking, what's going on? But there is something going on that's even higher. There is a flow of the Spirit that's in these words that you need to connect to. Because right now we are contending against darkness. We are contending against something. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Father, we declare, Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we say, your kingdom come. Father, we are committed on this day of 2020, Lord, to see the eyes and the wings of God. Lord, the heavenly entourage, the courtrooms of God manifested on the earth. Father, we say, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Lord, let Parkland County be a landing place for the majesty the glory, God, the awesomeness of the kingdom of heaven. Come on, let's pray. We are praying. The, the house of God is a house of prayer. Father, we are contending for the breakthrough. 
We are a corporate Elijah. Lord, that we have seen the promise. We've heard the words. Lord, there is coming an abundance of rain, but Lord, we will not stop contending until we see, until we see the waves, until we see the floods. Father, in Jesus' name. It doesn't matter what day it is today or tomorrow or the next day. You are instrumental in keeping the lights on. And I want to share this little prophetic picture because as I begin here today, and I I do have uh, some things, and I'm going to try not to stray, try not to uh, deviate too much from uh, what I've got planned because I feel like this is so important but um you know the church we we're like we're like this hydroelectric project that God has and and he's creating energy he's creating light you know when a city when there's a brownout it means all the lights go off and uh, one of the most famous brownouts in North America was the New York brownout from about uh, 20 some years ago. I mean, they were rioting and looting. I mean, it was it was absolutely horrific what happened. But it's a sort of a picture of what happens when things get dark, when the darkness takes over. And so, uh, you know, we we are in a very real way. We are producing light. We are producing something that impedes the advance of darkness and when we are uh when we are worshiping anything is it only happening when we're worshiping no but the most fundamental building block of releasing light begins in worship and so if you can't do it in worship chances are you're not being as effective as you could be everywhere else and so um that's why Jesus, you know, said the Father seeks such as worship him in spirit and in truth. And so, Father, I pray today, God, that we would continue to be that, uh, that generating influence of light and righteousness in the earth. Father, I pray, God, that we will not be distracted from our first ministry, from our, the first order of that which you have called us, to be and to do, Father, which is to pray and to worship and to release light and life in Jesus' name. Amen? So, um, to that end, and in keeping with that, I want to continue because I have, I have some concerns that on, on a number of levels... Again, I'm always, my concerns are always uh, couched in a confidence that God is going to have his way. Not because we say, oh, God's got everything in hand. Because in that sense, God does not have everything in hand. Actually, God has promised that everything is going to be in hand. But it's going to happen, coincidentally, uh, through a people who realize that they are God's hand. And, and that God having things in hand requires that the body, which is connected to the head, which is Jesus, would be the, you know, the torso and be the arm and the shoulder and the wrist and the arm and the hand that actually performs the things that God intends. So we don't, you know, Calvinistically say, well, you know, it doesn't matter what we do. Doesn't matter what we say. Doesn't matter whether I go to church or I sing or I prophesy or I, you know, declare in the name of Jesus or if I release faith because it's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. And those that were instrumental in in doing it will receive the greatest reward. So if we want to take, and there are people out there that are taking this track that are that well you know it's going to happen so i don't have to worry no you don't have to worry it's going to happen but the question is do you want to be relegated to to the least amount of responsibility for the greatness of the manifestation of god on the earth when god called you to be the most preeminent and the most significant part of that journey are you willing to relegate yourself into virtual nothingness 
you know, in terms of, uh, of the responsibility. I mean, God is saying, listen, the most amazing thing that's ever, been ha- that's ever happened, ever been talked about, is coming to the earth, and, and I'm, I'm looking for some people to do it for me, and I'm going to give them the greatest reward that has ever been known. And uh, we're turning up our noses at that. And we say, well, it's going to happen. That's all that really matters. Well, not exactly. Because God is always looking for a generation. God is always looking for a people. When it says, I sought for a man who would stand in the gap, okay, yeah, the Bible says he's going to find. There is a final generation that God is going to find. But, but he's going to find it because they decide that they're the ones that are being found. And that's an honor. This honor, you know, when it talks, Psalm 149, you know, it talks about uh, the, 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 uh, the people whose honor it is to execute the written judgments of God, to bind demonic kings with fetters and chains of honor. It says, this honor have all the saints. This honor have all the saints. This is what you are called to. Oh, you know, the Bible says we're going to rule and reign with Christ. Yeah, but in different capacities. Right? In different capacities. You know, it's the, there's the two parables, one of the talents and the miners, and we prayed about this on Wednesday, and I just released a video on it. But it says that he gave, with the miners, he gave every 10 people each one mina. And he says, go ahead, do business, kingdom business till I come. And he came back, and one guy had 10, you know, and one guy had one, another guy had five. We don't know what the other seven did. Maybe they didn't do anything. You know, maybe that's the whole object. Like, where are the other seven? They're not even mentioned. But the guy who had one and who said, I didn't do anything with it, I feared the, account, the sense of accountability because you're so austere and, uh, and demanding is too high, so I didn't do anything. I buried it, here's your mina. But the interesting thing about that is God took the, 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 what, was, what should have been given to that one and he gave it to the guy with 10. And it's all about authority. It's all about ruling. You rule over. You were faithful. You got me 10 minus. Rule over 10 cities. There is a metron of authority that God has prepared for the sons of God that he means to dispense at the end of the age. And even now, because we are already in that which is called eternal life. We don't get into eternal life when we die. We're in the line of eternal life. Eternal life has already begun. We are in eternity now. And we've already begun to rule and reign with him. And so there is a metron of authority that you have the option to take up or to lay down. And I'm provoking you again and again. Take up your metron of authority Church in Canada, wake up and take on your metron of authority. You are called to rule and to reign. Can you say amen? Amen. So uh, I want to talk about this kind of thing (laughs) in the context of some of the some of the what's happening right now in our culture and in our community. We're right now in the middle of the lockdowns. So if you happen to be watching this two, three years from now, this is 2020. Yeah, we're here, baby. Right in the middle of this. But I, you know, all this discussion, I've had a number of discussions. I'm going to have a discussion this week again about the lockdowns and all the measures. And, and um, somebody was asking me last night, you know, uh, somebody had asked, well, uh, you know, how come you guys are not obeying the law? which is not true. We actually are obeying the law. However, let me, let me be clear about something. <sighs> the most important thing is to be light. When the disciples were forbidden to preach, to advance the kingdom of God, when they were forbidden to speak in the name of Jesus, when they're forbidden from going into the marketplace, from going into the synagogues to preach and to share the name of Jesus they said, listen, this is something we cannot do because this is central. This is central to what we are called to do as Christians, and we don't have the option to not do this. And let me, so with that being said, let me tell you this, that anything that impedes the worship 
of the, of the people of God is a part of a demonic strategy. Anything that muzzles the people of God from singing, anything that tells you not to preach in the name of Jesus, not to worship, is a part of a strategy to shut down the kingdom of heaven on earth. I'm telling you, and I'm going to show you from Scripture in a second how these things merge together. But we need to realize more is at stake than the idea of being inconvenienced. More is at stake than the idea of not being able to assemble for a couple of weeks, which is now rolled into six, eight months. Okay, much more is at stake and is hanging in the balance. And so I want to I give you again the patterns to realize that just because something can be justified in the natural doesn't mean there isn't a spiritual cause to it. Do you know that? People have done this forever. They looked at so-called miracles and they said, well, this is not a miracle because we can find a natural cause that coincides with this. Well, you know, yeah, it, it became dark in that time and it was dark for more than time than it should be. But here's the astro- astrological phenomena that explains it. Therefore, it is not a miracle. Let me tell you, natural occurrences are stimulated by spiritual events. Natural occurrences are stimulated by spiritual events. So just because you can trace something to a natural occurrence doesn't mean the catalyst was not spiritual in nature. The things that are seen exist by the authority and nature of that which cannot be seen. There's a seen world and an unseen world. And the seen world is affected by what happens in the unseen world. Good news You are called to engage with the unseen world. And part of what it means to be a believer is going away from engaging as a responsive person would to what happens in the natural, to going to the root, to being part of what shapes the natural, which is the spiritual. So God has called you. God has given you a spirit. God has made you born again. He has connected you to his spirit in heaven right now. If you're born again, you are one spirit with him. And you have the means to be led by that spirit. Or not. And so, uh, everything that God is doing Right now, yes, it rests upon his omnipotence. It rests upon his unfathomable glory. But he has decided that he's going to work through you. He has decided that he will not do anything outside of the agency of mankind. That's why Jesus came as a man. God couldn't find any other righteous, so he said, okay, I'll do it myself. But I still am limited to what I said I would do, which is to work through man, which is why Jesus came as a man. So guess what? There are men and women in this room on whom the next wave, the next level of the administration of the kingdom of heaven is contingent. It is, it is, uh, bear, its bearing is upon you. So let me, let me, I'm getting a little ahead of myself again happens last week i think or the week before i don't know isaiah 62 10 we talked about this we talked about this prophetic picture go through go through the gates prepare the way for the people build up build up the highway take out the stones lift up a banner for the people and uh that's what we're called to do and what happens is when we make a way and i i won't repeat that whole sermon i shared the other the other day the other week but the idea is that we're building up a highway that enables other people to walk on it, to come in behind us. And in this community, there are invisible pathways that we don't know are there, or we do know if we've navigated them. They are a pathway between uh, the, the regions of heaven, God's heavenly kingdom, and the earth. And they are navigated by people who worship and worship in spirit and in truth. And the truth is, each time you go through, each time you enter the realm of the spirit, you actually open something up that makes it possible for somebody else to enter into that. Anyway, I'd love to talk about that, but uh, I get distracted. I never get to my message. But, uh, but I, I love those dynamics. I love explaining them. I love talking about them. To me, these are fundamental to what it means to be a Christian, to understand these things. And if this is mysterious to you, you better start tuning in more often. 
All right. There's a commercial. Anyway, no, seriously, I, I, I'm telling you, I am now completely and entirely unapologetic about what it is that we are called to do and why God has grafted me into his body. It is because he is calling for an army. It is because he's calling for a generation of believers like this earth has never seen. And I hear the sound of his spirit calling me saying, Mark, I brought you out of darkness. I set you in my holy hill and I've called you to raise up a people. I've called you to raise up intercessors. I've called you to raise up people of the spirit, people who know how to pray, people who know how to worship, people who know how to prophesy and declare my kingdom come and so I'm doing this without apologizing so let me say this I wrote this down I wanted to not forget this word serendipitous isn't that a nice word it's nice yeah I like that word nothing this is what I said Nothing is serendipitous. And uh, what that means is by chance, accidental, by luck, fortuitous, unexpected. Nothing is uh, the convergence of, of factors that are unknown. All right? So right now, today, we are in the middle of a lockdown. All right? Is it just accidental that what is being accomplished by a lockdown that says don't gather Don't sing, don't prophesy, don't speak the name of Jesus out loud. Is it accidental that the aims of the one line up with the aims of the other? Is it accidental that the outcomes of obeying that edict results in the very same thing that Satan has been trying to do for the whole generation, the whole time for 2,000 years. In fact, even before that, the prophets of old were killed because they would not shut up. And is it, it's just serendipitous, it's an occasional, it's a blip, it's it's just the outcome of in consequences, things that are, you know, it's health related, therefore it's justified, has nothing to do with spiritual things at all. No, wrong. It is a manifestation of the same thing we've all seen. But the enemy's always plotting to say, what can I say to get these people to stop worshiping, to stop speaking, to stop sharing their faith, to stop gathering, that would be legitimate in their eyes? Let me be clear. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I refuse, I refuse to stop doing this because the cornerstone of the, of the expanse of the kingdom of heaven is built on the church gathering, the church assembling, the church worshiping in spirit and in truth. We are generating light in a world that is filled with darkness. And the enemy said, listen, if we can get, if we can get six, eight months where there's absolutely no light coming from them, we could shut down entire, entire swaths of the body of Christ. We can neutralize believers by the scores, by thousands. We could get it they get them to the place where they are so inured by the world, so depressed, so despondent that after four or six or eight months, they may never go back to church again. That's the strategy of the enemy. And you know what? I'm hearing this from believers, you know, saying 40% of Christians who attended church before may never go back once the lockdown is, is, is lifted. Now, you know, tell me again, tell me again how this is serendipitous and that these aims do not line up with a demonic spirit whose goal it is to crush And kill us and destroy us. I'm telling you, it's not by accident. It's not inconsequential. It is part of a demonic strategy. And we need to open our eyes and see it for what it really is. All right, now, let me share a couple things. I know I shared this before, but let me share two things. Because people are are thinking, yeah, well, you know, you know, you know. I, I hate that when people do that. 
I just start speaking for Satan. Well, you know, the, the government this, and the health people this, and the health... No, no, no. Unsaved people, and many saved people, are moved by an invisible force they do not understand. They are responsive to a spirit they don't know that they're under control of. And one of the things that God is awakening us to, hopefully, is the realization that people around you, seemingly good, reasonable, intelligent people, are guided by a demonic spirit, and they don't know they are. You know, because they have not, they have not imagined at the core of every action murderous, incestuous, ugly, adulterous sin. Therefore, ah, you know, God knows their hearts. Yes, they have no capacity for good. If they had capacity for good, they wouldn't need to be saved. Okay, well, you mean there's, there's no, well, there's good and bad according to men, but good and bad according to men is not the same as good and bad according to God. God not, doesn't think in terms of what's favorable and unfavorable. He thinks of life and death. And he said, anybody without Christ has no life. Good is life. Bad is death. Hello? Hello, am I speaking to the right people? The kingdom of God, as God measures good and evil, is not about what's, what's, what's horrendous and what's, oh, I can, that's affable, that's, that's, that's understandable, that's, that's not heinous. No, that's not how God thinks. He thinks in life and death. Life and death. What comes from above is life. What comes from below is death. Yeah, but, but I, I was doing this thing, I was doing this thing, and on the appearance it had every, every appearance of being uh, good. Yeah, but you have no capacity to do as good because you're dead. You have no life in you. And good, in the standpoint of the kingdom of God, is only what comes from above. I know we're still unconvinced of that, but that's, that's a whole other message for another time. But. but anyway, Ephesians 2 says that he made you alive. Oh, hey, look, look at this. I didn't even plan it. I didn't even know that. And you he made alive. Listen, and you he made alive. And you, he made alive. Did you ever do anything that could be considered humanly good before you were saved? Right? Were you ever nice to somebody? And if you take that nice action, would you say that's a good thing? Well, on one scale, yeah. But according to God's scale, there's death and there's life. And you, in Christ, he made alive. The objective of God is not to make you good by a human standard, not to change your behavior so it improves by a human standard. The objective of God is to make you alive so that you manifest the nature of God, which is good. That's the kingdom of heaven at work in the earth. How serendipitous that I came across the scripture. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in, once, in which you once walked according to the course of the world. You think, what? I walked according to the course of the world before I was saved? No, I wasn't. I was doing my own thing. I was my own man. I was my own boss. I was, well, I was under my parents and under my teachers and under a spirit of fear and under, okay, well, I see what you're saying. Walked according to the, uh, the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we have once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, who were by nature children of wrath, just as others. Now this is Paul. This is Paul that's writing this. This is Paul. He's the best of the best of the best of the best. In terms of moral conduct, in terms of, of keeping, being pure, being nice, and all those things he's supposed to be, nobody did it better than he said it so himself. No pride there at all. He was, he was blameless as concerning the law. So, so Paul says, listen, I was doing everything I possibly could with all my strength that I thought was good. And yet I'm telling you right now, I walked according to the course of this world. I walked according, even though I thought I was a free moral agent, I was walking according to the prince of the power of the air, a spirit that works in the children of disobedience. I was anchored to something I didn't understand that was moving me, that was causing my perspective to be, to be warped and changed, that was causing my speech to come out, that was able to get me to justify despicable evil. 
I did all these things. I killed people. I killed the first martyr of the church. Well, I didn't kill him. I held the coats for those that were killing him. One step removed. All right? This is what that spirit does. Well, you know, the, the, people, the people in the health department, you know, they're just concerned. No, they're not. On one level, they're concerned, but they are subject to forces they don't understand. And they are brought into line with a mindset and goals that are consistent with the prince of the power of the air whose objective is the slavery of the entire world. And we, the spirit of life, with a spirit of resurrection, are called to on every level oppose that agenda. This is what we're called to do. This is what we're here for. Again, I'm not saying, well, does COVID exist? Of course it exists. All right? Should we come to church then when we're sick and coughing on people? Of course you shouldn't. Okay? I'm talking about, I'm talking about the actual spiritual objective behind what seems to be legitimate measures. Realize what the enemy's end goal is and refuse to go there. You can still be wise. You can still be considerate. You can, you can still cough in your sleeve like a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay. Listen to this. First Chronicles 21, 1 to 3. All right? Listen to this. Now Satan stood up against Israel. Oh, wow. Now he was always against them, but in this case, Satan, look, look, Satan did this very specific thing. He stood up against Israel. And how did he stand up against them? It says, and he moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab, to the leaders of his people, Go, number Israel from Bathsheba to Dan, and bring the number to them that I may know it. Now, the problem with that is God expressly said, You shall not number the people unless I say number the people. All right? And, of course, the reason is pride. I don't want, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the underlying strategy. I don't want you to be thinking about your numbers all the time and how great you are. Look, at we, there's millions of us now. There's no way we could lose. It's like, have you, consider your history, please. <laughs> but, but what was it? It was, it was Satan that moved David. Now, David, he was, he was a pretty good guy, right? He often was led by the Spirit. I mean, he worshiped like nobody else had seen. And even he was moved by a Spirit to do something that was about to bring consequences way beyond what he anticipated. Now, of all people, Joab, if you've read the Bible, I mean, Joab is not really a stellar figure when it comes to righteousness and godliness in the Bible, I mean, Joab was the one that when David was dying, he told his son, listen, don't let that hoary head go down to the grave peacefully. <laughs> in other words, you know, put him to death with the sword as soon as I die, because that guy is trouble. But anyway, uh, so, so Joab answered, said, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord the king, uh, are they not all the servants of the Lord? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? See, even Joab knew. This is not a good idea. David, what are you doing? But David, he was subject to things he did not know. And he, he probably in his mind, now, you know, the, the nature of when Satan gives you a good idea, right? It's not just the idea of the thing, it's the rationale behind doing the thing. Oh, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience, that calls you into captivity to walk according to his mindset. He's always giving you reasons, seemingly good reasons, for doing the wrong thing. So 
when Peter had one of those moments and he said, you know, Jesus, don't, you're not going to the cross. No, how, no way. This is not happening. Jesus turned to him and said, Satan, get thee behind me. Why? Satan? It's not, it's me. It's Peter. It's not Satan. No, but because to Jesus, to one who sees sources, to understands the voices of life and death, who understands things that come from above feel like this, and things that come from below feel like this, he was immediately able to discern that I know you're Peter, but this thought, this objective, this goal, everything that you are doing right now is straight from the pit of hell. But you don't understand. I love you. Yeah, Satan uses that too. Your affections, your sympathies. So the fact, the fact, that something has an attributable, attributable, natural, sensible goal does not negate the fact that it could be entirely in sync with a diabolical plan. Do we understand this? Do do we understand this? Father, in Jesus' name, I pray. So, So let's talk about the diabolical plan from the context of what it, what it, why do we assemble? What is the church? And this is not new to you guys who are part of community church. Maybe you're watching online, and, 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 and this is uh, somewhat unheard of. Hopefully not. But let me read for you, and I'm Genesis 28. In there, we're going to look at verse 16. Uh, well, actually, I'm going to look before that. But, but Genesis 28 has the first really physical, visible, visual manifestation of what the church is meant to be, okay? It gives us a key, cornerstone, uh, um, blueprint, if you will, a template for what this meeting is supposed to be on Sunday, all right? When we gather here on Sunday, when we gather here on Wednesday night, there's a reason we come, and it's articulated right here, because we are meant to be something for the earth, all right, let's look at this. So uh, I'll start reading verse 10, just because they're, they're such great words. So if you have a Bible, hear this, I hear the rustling of pages. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba, went towards Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. Then he took one of the stones of that place and he put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, behold, a ladder was set up on earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. And also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in you and all your seed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now we've heard this promise before. This is the same promise that God gave to Abraham, the same promise that God gave to Isaac. This is the outcome. This is where God is taking these people. All right? So notice that the place where the promise is renewed, the place where the rom the, the the reset, you know, when you when you're doing your Google Maps and you turn and say, what what is that word it always says? Recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. Well, this is like one of those recalculating reset moments. Like just so you're sure where we're going, Abraham. Just so you're sure where you're going, this is the promise. Isaac. Just so you're sure where we're going, this is the promise. Jacob. Just so you're not confused about where we're going, this is the promise. That happens at a very important place. I want you to think about that. Now, Jacob awoke. Oh, wait, verse 15, I didn't read. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever. Now, that's a good thing to hear, eh? I'm with you, right? Isn't that wonderful? How many times were you, have you been in worship where the presence of God comes down, God gives you a big daddy hug, and he says, I'm with you. I'm with you, and I'm never going to leave you. You know where that usually happens? 
in the presence of the Lord, in times of significant manifestation of his presence. You know where that often happens? In church. Wow. It can happen in other places. But if you're a new believer, chances are the first 20, 50, 100 times it happens is when you're gathered with the body. Anyway, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, This is it. This is the description of the church, what the church needs to be. How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. This is the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Let me, let me be clear about this. We are in a place of military spiritual conflict. We are arrayed against forces of darkness, actual forces of darkness that are measurable. Uh, they're, they're actual, they're substantial. You know, we have that testimony of Elijah and Gehazi, you know, where Gehazi can't see the enemies. He sees all the, the armies arrayed against them, and the prophet says they're more than with us than are against us, and he prays for his eyes to be opened. And we see that, that there's actual, that the strength and the numbers of angels, the resources of the armies that are coming, either for or against you, they're not inconsequential, they're important. All right? The supply of heaven is important. Thankfully, in this moment, Elijah realized the supply of heaven is abundant. I see it. I know it. I understand it. We are not really under threat. The question is this. There are moments, like the moment when Jesus fled from those who were trying to kill him. He fled from a whole region. He fled from Judea. He fled. Well, couldn't he have just said, there are more with us than are against us? Could he have said that? Only if it was true. Only if it was true. With the rooms of this building, the communities of this province, the cities and and nations are not equally populated by angelic presence. There is an ebb and flow of the armies of heaven predicated upon worship and prayer and faith and prophetic declarations. Now, put that one in the bank. Write that down. Remember that. When we gather here, we are here to open up a portal. We are here to open up a gate. We are here to invite the manifestation of a heavenly dimension to invade the earth. We are saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. We are inviting the angel armies to the earth. They are attracted to certain things. They are drawn by certain things. And their ebb and flow is dictated not by just one individual, but the dimensions of authority the different ones carry and so so elijah in that moment knew okay no we're we're we're, we're taking care of here now another time he fled and went into a cave say like, well where's your armies now man right so clearly there are dynamics at work that determine what kind of angelic presence we're presently escorted with all right they could be higher or it could be lower. So, gee, is it serendipitous? Is it accidental? Is there nothing within our control or power? Isn't this, maybe it's just the will of God. Maybe God gave the, all those angels a furlough this weekend. Or maybe we took a furlough this weekend. Maybe we didn't release this week or for two weeks or for six months the angelic presence that could normally accompany us come upon our homes, fill this community. What if the numbers of angelic presence and resources of heaven were not dictated by the, the serendipitous whims of a God far off But what if they were dictated upon the faith and the action and the obedience of a people 
in a region called the body of Christ. So, this description here is, is representative of what we are. We are the gate of heaven. And the reason that when Jesus said in Matthew 16, I think it was, or Matthew 20, the reason he said, uh, you are my church, and on, on this the gates of hell, you know, I, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The reason why he said gates is because the house of God is the gate of heaven. The house of God is the place through which all the resources for empowering the armies of light come through the gates. And what determines which army wins is the army that is supplied. And what happens in the kingdom of God, in the, in the kingdom, in the spirit realm, is when the gate of heaven opens, the gate of hell closes. They can't be open at the same time because light is much greater than, than darkness. But the question is, are we just singing songs? Are we assembling or are we not even assembling? Are we doing liturgy? Are we saying things without faith? Are we doing ceremonies out of fear? Or were we actually being the gate of heaven? Are we manifesting faith? Are we opening gates? Are we releasing a sound that causes angels to come and look at what we're doing? Are the seraphim and the cherubim eagerly waiting to come to Spruce Grove? Because they know, man, there's a tear of worship that those people hit. Just can't wait it because we get to go to the earth. Now, I'd rather live in the occasional accidental world where nothing is ever my fault. Because I'm not sure I can handle the disappointment of failure. I'm not sure I can handle the pressure of thinking that the salvation of people just beyond my reach right now are somehow dependent upon what I do in here. I'm not sure I want to bear that responsibility of being like the king, you know, who's striking the ground. And the prophet said, why did you only strike three times? Now people, more people, uh, Israelites are going to die because you didn't strike the ground six or seven times. He's like, what, what, what? I don't know. We're just, I thought this is ceremony. I thought this was empty ritual. I thought this was like, you know, spiritual metaphor for truth. No, it's all about reality. It's always about advances and declines. It's always about birthing something from heaven that cannot be overcome. It's all about standing in the power and the might of what God has made you to be as a son and a daughter of God. You are a carrier of the kingdom of heaven with the authority to advance, an ambassador, one who represents and who can, like Jesus at different times, call upon the armies of heaven. Now, Jesus could have done that at different times, and he didn't. Clearly, he didn't do it on the cross. Why? Because there was this other purpose. Well, I'm supposed to die on the cross, so therefore I'm not going to call the armies of heaven, but don't you realize I could call? And a legion could come right, 10 legions right now. I could do that. But for the purpose of purpose, I am not. But you people, you my body, I'm sat down at the right hand of my father. You release, release, release on earth as it is in heaven. That's what you're doing here. That's why you're gathering. And when you gather together, you are ignited by one another's faith coming out of the, you know, the occasional, the unstructured world of happenstance to realize that, no, I have a sword in my hand. I have a trumpet in my mouth. I have an insurmountable power inside of me. I can't even measure that I'm trying to discover. And this is where it begins to be released. So, yeah, the enemy is afraid of you. The enemy is afraid of these kinds of assemblies. The enemy doesn't want you to speak, doesn't want you to sing, doesn't want you to declare, doesn't want you to gather, because the advance of the kingdom of heaven is built upon this event two, three, four, five, six, seven times a week. Not only that, your personal advance is built on how many times that happens for you? 
So let me, let me be clear about this. If that happens once a month, you are stepping back. You are falling under the weight of things. So what's the strategy? Well, if we can get Christians to not be at church, not have a moment of breakthrough, not have a moment when that darkness is peeled back and where we, you know, because here's what the enemy does. He's, he's pouring disillusionment on you every minute of every day. He's pouring on you a mindset that's born of this world. He's pouring on you fears, concerns, unbelief. He's, he's pouring on you witchcraft, curses, things like that. And you are all week long, all week long, you're being weighed down and weighed down and weighed down and weighed down. You think, I don't feel like going to church. But then somebody calls you and say, hey, I'll drive you to church. Oh, I don't want to really want to go. No, you should go. Okay, I'll go. And you're going... You get that stuff broken off and you're thinking, oh, I'm so glad I went to church. Hallelujah. But then you miss a Sunday, a Wednesday, and another Sunday, another Wednesday. Well, you know, do we have to go that many times? It's not about have to. It's what weight are you carrying because you don't? And do you have the capacity in your morning devotions to get that breakthrough? If you don't, then you need to come here to get it. If you do do that by yourself, then get a few other people with you who can do it so you can do it for them. That's what the church is. And that's what we're doing for each other right here. But, uh, wow, we get you not coming to church, not having a breakthrough, sitting at home in your lazy boy chair, where you may or may not engage, where you may or may not even open your mouth, where you may or may not ever have any kind of an enlightening uh, uh, moment, then the heaviness and the weight and the disillusionment of darkness builds and builds and builds. And all of a sudden you get to a place, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I, I, yeah, Uh, church is kind of spooky. Yeah, they do things that are kind of, that's nonsense. It doesn't make sense to me. I think I'll go somewhere where the gate never opens. Because there's a lot of work. Opening the gate, you know. And I want to go to a church where I can just relax. You know, I work hard all week. I, I work hard all week, and I'm, I'm tired. I want to go somewhere where people are ministering to me. You mean entertaining? You mean placating your sense of obligation and guilt with a moment that actually does nothing for you in terms of igniting faith and releasing the darkness off you and changing your mindset? This is the difference between going to church and being the church. Like I said, I'm, I'm done apologizing for this because I see that the only, capac- uh, the only hope of a victorious church is people getting, get, being able to remove from themselves that weight of darkness that besets you, that hangs over you, that creeps up in the night, that creeps up through the circumstances of your life, and it's there and it's biting at your heels all the time. And, it, and it, if, if you decide, well, I'm not going to go to church as often, well, that thing is succeeding. And if you go to church and do nothing, if you go to church and don't have that victorious moment where that you feel that lightness again, well, you, you haven't done it. How many times has that happened? Is there a practical reason why we gather? You bet there is. You better believe there is. Because there are, there's a force trying to conform your thinking to this world. And each time you don't break free, free from that, the longer you stay under that, the more you are conformed. Be not conformed to this world, we're told. So, there's a passage in Genesis 26 where it talks about some the challenges. Now, these challenges, they're shared in story form. They're great stories. But like most stories, they have, they are type and shadow. Do you know what a shadow is? I see my shadow here. My shadow is a vague representation of me, but it is not the substance of who I am. So when there's shadows in the Old Testament, they're, they're a foretaste, a, a vague representation of a truth that will become clearer as you enter the kingdom and get closer to God's original intent. And so there's a story here where it talks about, about wells in Genesis 26. Let me read it, verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began 
to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Listen to that. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than us, than we. Then uh, Isaac departed from there and pitched a tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. He redug the wells. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them, and Isaac's servant dug in the valley and found a well running of one running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours, even though they didn't dig it up. Funny how that happens, eh? So he called the name of the well Essek because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sidna. I think you get the picture. I think you get the picture, right? Water is a picture of the central commodity for life in the Old Testament. And so the Philistines, and by the extension, a Philistine spirit, right, that's against the church, the same enemies of Israel in the spirit, those peoples were under the power of principalities and powers. They represent the same spirit that is alive today, the same spirit that's trying to destroy the church, the same spirit that says don't sing, don't go to church, don't worship, don't gather. That same spirit. The justification might be different. It might seem sensible. It might, might, might seem orderly, or order, uh, even caring. It might seem natural, but it is according to the same goal. That's what you have to discern. What is the goal in the spirit? Not as these guys in the natural. What their goal is purported to be is superfluous. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's a side issue. It's not even worth considering. That's not the issue. The issue is, will this advance the kingdom of heaven or will it cause us to be significantly decreased? Is it obvious? I think so. But anyway, so this picture of water. And, uh, and I'm losing some of you. I can feel you leaving the room. Come back. Come back. Come back, please. I'm almost done. I'll try to be more entertaining. Or just die when you need her. Anyway, the, the fight over water is still the fight over water today. Except the well that the Philistine spirit is filling in is not a well out there where we draw drinking water from, but the well that was made in you when you got born again. You know, in John, when the, five, I think it is, when Jesus talking, or four, when Jesus talking to the woman at the well, he said that the water that I will give you will become in you a well springing up. And, he's, and later on, he said, out of, uh, to him that believes, out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Listen, your spiritual vitality, your ability to stay Christian, your ability to keep your mind on the things that matter, your ability to escape the conformity of this world, your ability to do all those things is based on whether that water is flowing in your life. And here's what happens. When you're a young Christian and you don't know that you even have a well, you don't even know that what's going on when you got saved and I came into something, I don't know what it is, but I like it here or whatever. There's something happening to me that's great. You don't know what's happening, but what's happening is there's water inside of you. When you get around others whose wells are flowing, gushing in worship, like Jesus said, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And what he was doing is he was, he was trying to, uh, what do you call that word? Uh, when they used to, we used to pour gas into an old carburetor? Prime, yeah. Well, the others are priming your well, trying to get some suction, some current, some flow through you. Your spiritual life, the health of your spiritual life, your ability to be instrumental in overcoming the world, the darkness, is not how many times you come to church, but how many times you assemble, how many times that water begins to flow, how many times it happens on a large and high level, how many times the banks are overflowed and all of the garbage that's around your life gets pushed away. How many? This is what happens when you enter the presence of the Lord and when you're a young believer and you don't know how. 
You don't know how to do that. But it happens mysteriously. It happens serendipitously when you're with others. But let me tell you, somebody else, for somebody else, is actual. It's normative. It's regular. It's anticipated. It's planned. It's deliberate. We're here to get that breakthrough because there's darkness eating at you all day long, all week long. Now, you might be intellectually strong. You might be principled. You might be emotionally healthy, in which case you can go for a month without a breakthrough and recapture all the reality of your faith. But, it, but for some people, they can't. And it's evident. It's evident. Young Christians, they can't. If I, if I didn't go to Bible school and have that breakthrough every day for two years, I don't know if I'd be a Christian today. I don't know if I could, could have sustained the milquetoast church world where you might get a breakthrough, a revival moment once a month, once a year. You're meant to live in this every day. It's meant to be your daily bread, your manna from heaven. Not your occasional high moment. Oh, I remember one time I prayed in tongues. <laughs> it's not spooky. It's not unnatural. This is the kingdom. And the enemy has placed a gauntlet of forces of darkness between you and assembling with people, you, and reaching that pinnacle moment where that darkness and that heaviness breaks off of you. Because to be free, you've got to get in the habit of breaking that darkness upon you. Because for some of you right now, there's a darkness that falls on you, and you welcome it back in some ways. You actually acquiesce. You actually yield to it. You let it come. You don't even know how you let it come, but there are, that's because you've lived according to the course of this world. You, well, I've been a Christian since a young kid. doesn't matter. You, you're not perfect. You don't have every, every thought in your mind is not redeemed. Let me tell you, every, all the ways of your family is not redeemed. We all have been in a natural world, but I'm telling you the opportunity to have our minds conformed to the mind of God. To be free on a scale, on an unimaginable scale, is right there in front of us. But it's built on the gathering of the saints. It's built on the breakthrough when we gather. It's built on the moment of spirit and life flooding the banks of my soul. Without it, we will be overrun. Make no mistake. But a church is rising up today that will not be overrun, that refuses to lay down, that says we will enter the holy place. We will worship. Ho! Come on! Jesus! Jesus! Ho! Ho! Let Let me be clear about this. Some of you are intelligent, extremely principled people who've been raised well. That's not enough to overcome the darkness that's coming. It's enough to keep yourself in a reasonable mindset right now, but it's not enough to set anybody else free. The kind of worship that I talk about, the kind of worship I call us to, it's necessary. It's the minimal level for an overcoming church. Because uh, God wants to release a scepter. Um, last night I had a dream that we were driving around in Spruce Grove and that water started coming up and it was up to the side of our vehicle and I was trying to get back home and the water wasn't coming into my vehicle but it was everywhere that I went and as I got back home I got inside and it was coming down my stairwell and I saw it coming from the top down. Father, we say flood, flood, flood Spruce Grove. Open the windows of heaven. Open the windows of heaven. Open the windows of heaven. Open the wells of the deep. Open the wells of the deep. Open the wells of the deep. Yeah. Now, if you're here today, if you're here today and you've been struggling, 
And you're thinking when I'm talking about darkness hanging over you, suppressing you, controlling you, coming down on you, I want you to come and just stand up here and begin to worship up here. Now we want to contend and pray as we're singing because there are people that have been away and the enemy has put so many barriers in their way when they come into this building. And you may be here today, you might be feeling some of this. You might come in this thing and think, nobody here likes me. People are talking about me. People, I don't belong here. All this sense of isolation and separation. I'm telling you, it does not come from the people in this room. It comes from a spirit that is arrayed against you. I've seen people take a month off of church, go away, go on vacation, and have a hard time coming back. Why? Because this is a spiritual war. And the enemy is trying to separate you from anything that would bring you liberty. So I want to say to you, break past. Lord, we're praying for those who haven't been in church, whether here or somewhere else, wherever they're supposed to be in church. God, that is suddenly filled with apathy. Lord, they feel resistant. They feel weight against them. God, break it, break it, break it, break it, break it, break it, break the gauntlet, break the assault, break the attack, break it. Break it, break it, break it, break it in Jesus' name. Break it in Jesus' name. Break it in Jesus' name. Listen, I have a, I have a prophetic word. There are some people in this church, you're here today, you might be watching online, some of you, but you came to this church, and when you came here, you felt something. You felt a life. You felt a lightness. You, something was stimulated inside you. And, and you had a moment, you had some kind of significant moment that said, I want to be here, God is here. Let me tell you, you have retreated from that position of confidence. You have retreated from that position that there's something significant that is happening in my life when I'm here. And it's not because the God has lessened what has happened. But here's the deal. He uses an emotional moment to convince you of the reality of something that can't be touched by emotion. Listen. He uses an emotional moment to convince you of something beyond emotions in order to get you to stand. But once that moment is passed, you can't live by the presence or the absence of that emotion because God is trying to move you from the soul orientation to become a spirit-led believer. And there's subtleties in the spirit. So the, the Lord is saying, return, 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 return to the zeal, return to the commitment. Remember, he says, remember what I touched you with. Remember what I did in you at the beginning. Remember how I led you here. Remember the promise that hung over you. Remember the high moments. You can have them again. But they're going to be different. But don't step back. Return. Well, but Father God, we thank you so much for the body of Christ. We thank you for your church, which you died upon the cross for. We thank you that we can come and dwell together as brothers and sisters in unity. And we know that as we come together, there is power that goes forth from this place. So today, Lord, we choose to say thank you and we choose to honor you for all you've done in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. So you are released, but if you want to stay, please feel free to stay for a bit.